Let us pray. Gracious God, quiet in us any voice but your own and reveal to us the truth of your word and your will for our lives. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. In the course of time, Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As Jackson mentioned last week, we have just begun our Genesis Says summer series. We're walking through the first book of the Bible, the first book in a collection of books that we call holy. 
Genesis 1 and 2 are primarily concerned with telling us how we came to be, how God created the whole world and then even saw fit to create us. Jackson rightly pointed out that the way this story reads, we hear that God created land and sea, but that means land and sea and everything in between. It's a bit like when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He doesn't mean, well, I was there at the beginning and I'll show up again at the end, but in between, you are on your own. He means, I was there at the beginning, and I will be there at the end, and I will be there every second of every minute of every day in between, too. That may be helpful to remember as we approach Genesis 4. We're only in chapter 4. It takes us two chapters to find our way into this world, but it only takes two more before we take one another out of it. It begins with Eve giving birth to a son, Cain. I have produced a man with the help of the Lord, she says. And I think this is the story's way of telling us that despite everything that happens with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God has decided to stick with this project of humanity. And then we're told that she bears Cain's brother, Abel. It is possible they're twins. We don't know. We do know that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the earth. We know that the offerings they brought to God reflected this. Cain brought an offering of what the earth yielded and Abel brought an offering of what his flock yielded. Both bring a portion of what has been entrusted to them, which quite honestly seems entirely reasonable to me. But then we read, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. This is one of many moments when I would like to ask God what exactly God was thinking. Because seriously, God, were you trying to stir up all sorts of trouble? Why couldn't you have been as excited about your roast vegetables as you were about your barbecue? Parents have been telling children to eat their vegetables since time immemorial. Couldn't you have just done the same thing? I'm not the only one who has been troubled by this turn in the text, particularly since we are given no explanation for it. As to why God accepts one offering and turns down the other, the text is silent. We like things to make sense, though, so over the years we have reached for all manner of possible explanation. One scholar claims it must mean that Abel brought the best of his portion, while Cain brought a minimal offering the smallest growth or the scraps, but the text makes no mention of any superiority or inadequacy in either offering. Other scholars say the problem isn't with the gift so much as the giver. Our own John Calvin says that surely we must assume that Abel gave with a willing and joyful heart while Cain's heart was begrudging. 
think that probably says more about Calvin's heart than anything else. The text says nothing of either heart. Still other scholars speculate that this section of the story was added later because shepherds wanted to affirm their anti-farmer bias. Maybe, but by now you know there is no reason given. We are just told. Abel's offering was highly regarded and Cain's offering was not. Now, on the one hand, I wish desperately there was an explanation provided. It is easier to live in a world in which expectations are cut and dry, consequences are cut and dry, and everything follows in a fair and orderly way. But that is not the world we live in. And so as hard as it is, I am actually grateful this text seeks to teach us about living in the world as it is, not about living in the world we wish it would be. And I think the only way, I think the only way this story could make absolutely certain that we would understand that the fairness or unfairness of this world is not directly related to anything we say or do was to put it on God's shoulders instead of ours. Not because God is actually subject to vindictive whims, but because God would rather let her own reputation take a hit before allowing us to labor under the false notion that life is fair if you figure it out. If we are being honest with ourselves, I imagine there is a little bit of Cain in all of us. There is some part in all of us, isn't there, that when presented with the unfairness of the world, we are filled with rage and we desperately want to control something, anything. That part of me is why when I am face to face with whatever it is that seems to be, by my own estimation, utterly unfair or inexplicably capricious or some sort of twisting of the gospel, I clean. I organize. I gather a recycling bin and a trash bin and I am relentless with every object that has the misfortune to get in my way. My colleagues love this. There is a part of each of us, some of us more intensely than others, but there is a part of each of us that is hardwired for control. And on the surface, that's fine. It is something of a survival mechanism. But left unchecked, it can quickly become our downfall. I think that is why God says to Cain, I see that you are angry and upset. So what are you going to do with that? Will you use it for good? Or will you let sin get the better of you? You have a choice in this matter. But when it comes to Cain's response to God, well, again, we are met with silence. 
All we are told is that in the very next verse, Cain takes his brother out into the field and murder enters our human vocabulary for the first time. And then just as quickly, we hear God ask Cain, where is your brother Abel? And we hear Cain ask a question in response, am I my brother's keeper? That last question is easily the most famous of the bunch, but I have come to believe we need that whole series if we are going to wrestle with it properly. What are you going to do with your anger, Cain? How will you respond to the inherent unfairness of this world? Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? As we do this, I'd like to make the case for taking the murder out of the equation here. That's another sermon for another day. Today, I'm wrestling with other questions and staying focused on that murder piece makes it far too easy to say this story is not actually about me because I would never murder anyone. And that is probably true that I or you or any of us, we are unlikely to murder anyone. But this story is very much about us. This story is about how we go on living in an objectively unfair world. This story is about whether or not in the face of that reality, we look out for one another. If we are aware of one another's realities in proximity to our own, or if we are concerned primarily for ourselves, This story is about the degree of responsibility we bear for one another. Continuing a trend, God never answers Cain's question. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain cries out. And there is no direct response, not to that question specifically. From the beginning of scripture until the end, God asks far more questions than God ever answers. I suspect this might be because God knew we would be prone to take answers and cling to them for dear life. But questions, well, they require us to think and consider and rethink and reconsider in light of the events and obstacles and opportunities of any given day. I haven't been able to test this against every single verse of the Bible yet, but it seems to me that when God answers a question, it's an answer that withstands the test of time. And when God asks a question, it's because God knows that not everything is ironclad and absolute, and it was not designed to be so. So am I my brother's keeper? I suppose it depends by what you mean by keeper. There are those who rightfully point out that historically speaking, slaves were a kept people. 
people under the absolute ownership of another human considered to be more of a possession than a person. So am I invited to own or act as if I own another human under no circumstances whatsoever? And surely we are not meant to keep such close tabs on one another that we know their physical proximity every moment of every day. Today, that's actually known as stalking. I suspect that is why God does not answer this question with anything definitive. Because am I my brother's keeper? Well, no, but yes. And yes, except when no. Again, I think we need to remember all of the questions that are asked in this story. How will you choose to respond to the inherent unfairness of this world? Where is your brother? And am I my brother's keeper? I believe that what the Spirit would have us take from this story is the conclusion that we are responsible for one another in every way that points toward life, in every way that enables and encourages life to flourish, in every way that permits creation to continue living living and breathing just like God set us doing back in the garden. And there is no one answer, no one clear-cut, easily defined answer that tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt where and how life will always be found. I think that the greatest tragedy of everything that has unfolded in recent days regarding the Supreme Court is that we have stepped into the role of God we have actually stepped into a role above God. Because, again, God asks more questions than God ever answers. We do not live in a world in which every pregnancy is born of love. We do not live in a world in which every pregnancy is medically safe. We do not live in a world in which every life is ready to welcome another, or a world in which every child born has nutrition and safety, health care and resources and backup plans. We do not live in a world in which every child born has an equal chance to thrive. And we do not live in a world in which every person carrying a baby will either. We do not live in a world in which there are neat and easy answers to any of this. Because we do not live in a world of absolutes. And to claim otherwise is to distort not only the world that God created, but the wisdom of the creator himself. Abortion is not always right. But it is not always wrong either. And where there are no absolutes, there are questions. 
There are questions designed to lead us towards the flourishing of life in the fullest, most complete way possible. And honoring these questions and wherever they lead us, that honors God. Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? And God does not answer because life is too big and too complex. It is too beautiful and too broken for simple answers. What happens though is that God makes it clear that God will be Cain's keeper. After all that has transpired, God says to Cain, I will protect you because your life is just as valuable as any other. The truth is I am ending this sermon in a different place than I thought I would earlier this week. Because yes, we are one another's keepers and we need to remember that, but we also need to remember that it is only to an extent We are never asked to take on so much responsibility for one another that we find ourselves trying to fill God's shoes or trying to provide answers that God never intended to offer. Ultimately, God is the one who keeps us all. God is the one who keeps our lives, all of our lives, God is the one who keeps our going out and our coming in from this time on and forevermore. Let us pray. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.